It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now, here's Nathan Johnson. Well, welcome to the first Daily Thunder from Israel. So I've taken a group of 30 people here to the Holy Land, and I'm so excited about what God has been doing. So this is our first travel day, and we've been seeing some amazing things. So this first Daily Thunder is going to be from Beth Shemesh, which is a place of Samson and Delilah. So this is going to be my teaching session uh, from that location. What I want to do is I want to look at the story of Samson. And I know that for most of us, we grew up on the story of Samson, but I want you to hear it in a different light. Uh, for whatever reason, in American culture, Samson is seen as like the great hero, right? He's the muscular uh, superhero of the day, right? And so every little boy wants to grow up and be strong like Samson. But it's interesting when you actually look at the story, he's actually not a great hero. Uh, he's actually quite a failure in terms of everything that God was asking him to do. And so I just want to freshly look at the story with you for just a few moments. So Beth Shemesh would have been a thriving city during the time of Samson. And what's interesting is this story is really going back and forth between the Philistines, which are the non-believers down on the coastal plain, that direction, and God's people who live up in the mountains. So again, we're in the Shephelah, and it's interesting that the Shephelah becomes like the battlegrounds between God's people in the mountains and the enemy people down by the coastal plain. So at our next stop, you'll see the battle coming alive again uh, as we're talking about David and Goliath. So all along the Shephelah, you have this encounter between God's people in the mountains and God's enemies, if you will, down by the coastal plain. And as we're walking through this, it's important to recognize that when God called his people, he called them to be separate and different other than the people around them, right? When, when they came back into the land with Joshua, one of the commands by Moses was, hey, don't become like the people you're going into. Hey, you're to destroy them. You're not to become like them. And it's interesting, especially in the story of Samson, how much his life gets pulled into being just like the culture around him. So if you have your Bibles, Judges chapter 13 uh, starts this way. He says, again, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. There was a certain man from Zorah, from the tribe of Dan. His name was Manoah. His wife was infertile and had, uh, had borne no children. Now, Dan, correct me if I'm wrong. This, the big hill right here is Zorah, right? The lone tree on the hill. Oh, the lone tree over there. Yeah. And then Eshkol is right to the right of that, right? It's all to the, in the bottom, yeah. So if you remember the big grape story, right, where they came and they had the huge thing of grapes, mm -hmm. that direction. But Samson's parents lived where the tree's at. Sound fun? Okay. Uh, verse 3. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed, you are infertile and have borne no children, yet you will conceive and bear a son. Now be careful, I pray, that you drink no wine or strong drink, that you and that you do not eat anything ritually unclean. For you will conceive and bear a son. No razor may touch his head, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb. He will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now a Nazarite, you recognize... When you go back into the Old Testament law, there were three key things a Nazarite had to do. One, uh, you had no haircuts, which must have been interesting, right? So uh, both John the Baptist and Samson would have been Nazarites from birth. So by the time they're doing ministry, my guess is their hair is quite long, right? In other words, we always show them like shoulder length hair in the movies. But if you've never cut your hair, you probably have longer hair than just shoulder length, okay? But there's no razor on your head. 
no strong drink, so no wine and no coffee, right? No strong drinks. Just as a joke. Just kidding. Uh, and then thirdly, you can't touch dead things, right? So there had to be a purity uh, in, in how you're living. In other words, this picture that Samson was called to was a total commitment to God, that he was to be separate other than and very distinct from everybody around him, even the Israelites. So as you continue in the story, uh, verse 6, And the woman went to her husband and said, A man of God came to me. He looked like a fearsome angel of God. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive and bear a son. So now do not drink wine or a strong drink, and do not eat anything richly and clean, for the boy will be a Nazarite to God from the womb until the day that he dies. And so as you walk through the story, Samson is born, which is quite amazing. And you get down into verse uh, 24. It says, So the war woman bore a son, and she called him Samson. And the boy grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Dan between Zorah and Eshcol. So he's growing up right over there. Okay. Now, Samson, we're talking about the importance of names. Samson means light or a reflection from God, a reflection of God. That's be that becomes important as we get later on in the story. Now, just something I want you to note, which I think is going to play into the story quite well. When they started doing archaeological digs here, again, it's to tell there's a whole bunch of layers. Uh, when they got to the Canaanite level, uh, they found over 6,000 animal bones. So for temple, uh, uh, temple sacrifice or for like eating, that kind of stuff, there was all these bones. And what's interesting is 50% of them are pig bones. Okay. Now, when you get to the time of Samson in, in Israel's height, uh, in, that, in that day, 25% of the bones on that layer is pig bones, which tells you that even though the Israelites are controlling this plot of land, they're already pulled into the paganism. Because as a good Jew, you don't you don't do pig stuff. So what's interesting is culturally, right? This was a this was a pagan thing. The Canaanites had it, and there's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of eating of the pigs. Even by the time of Samson, though, you still have the flavor of that, which is really intriguing to me. Uh, Solomon, when he came in and took it over, uh, one percent was pig bones, and then Hezekiah. When you get to the Hezekiah level, uh, there's actually no pig bones. Just something interesting for our own personal lives. Do you realize that you are called to be distinct and separate and different than the world around you? So if I could ask you a personal question, uh, what pig bones are in your life? In other words, if someone did an archeological dig of your heart, of your life, of your mind, would they find pig bones? And you realize we're not talking about pigs. We're not talking about bacon, right? So by all means, eat bacon. But what we're talking about is just something that is, what God has said, don't participate in this, and yet you have evidence that's in your life. So just as, even just as a thought in terms of this location, what are the things in your life that you need to begin to let God deal with so that you don't have evidence of pig bones in your soul? Like, would you allow him to remove the pig bones of your life so that you could be separate, distinct, other than, or in essence, a Christian, what he's calling you to be? Now, as you get into chapter 14, uh, what you begin to see is the whole story of Samson is a story of compromise. So what I want to do is I want to read the story of Samson and I want you to boldly, so don't be shy, but as we get to something where you see compromise, I want you to literally cry out compromise. Make sense? So let's just, let's rehearse this, right? There's something bad. Compromise. Okay. I just want you to pick up how much compromise there is in the story of Samson. So for, uh, 
Judges 14, chapter, uh, sorry, chapter 14, verse 1. Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman from the daughters of the Philistines. Now, Timnah, by the way, is a Philistine town down the valley. It's about three miles. Uh, and it says that he uh, saw this woman. And he came back and told his father and his mother, I have seen a woman of Timnah from the daughters of the Philistines. Now get her for me as a wife. Now, why is it compromise? Yeah, so they're not to marry the enemies. And yet, what is Samson doing? He's already having this, oh, wouldn't it be great if I had married her? So his father and mother said to him, hold on, sorry, wind. So his father and mother said to him, are there no women among your relatives or all of our people that you are, are intending to take a wife from you among the uncircumcised Philistines? Yet Samson said to his father, get her, uh, get her for me, for she pleases me well. So his father and mother did not know that this was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity to act against the Philistines. At that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Verse 5, Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah. Suddenly a young lion came roaring toward them. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, and though unarmed, he tore the lion in two, as one might tear a young goat in two. However, he did not tell his father and his mother what he had done. So Samson went down and spoke with a woman, and she pleased Samson. After a while, when they returned to take her, he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He scooped it out into his hands and ate it as he went along. Compromise. compromise. Why is it compromise? Dead animal. He's touching a dead animal. Uh, he came to his... He came to his father and mother and gave some to them, the honey, and they also ate. Yet he did not tell them that he had scooped the honey out of the lion's carcass. Then his father went down to the woman, Samson, put on, sorry, then his father went down to the woman. Samson put on a feast there, for this is what the young men would do. Now, we don't pick up on this, but he's actually living according to the custom of the Philistines. And most scholars tell us that verse 10 is not just a party, it's actually a drunken orgy. So he's going down to the Philistine uh, town. He's functioning as a Philistine and he's living and partying like a Philistine. Okay, doing their uh, groomsmen partying before the wedding. If he wasn't supposed to touch dead things, does that mean he also shouldn't like kill anything? It's an interesting question, isn't it? I don't know. Uh, but it is a good question. I don't know. Study it out, let me know. Uh, verse... Uh, verse 11, when the Philistines saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. Now Samson said to them, let me tell you a riddle, and if you can explain it to me uh, within the seven days of the feast, then I will find 30 linen robes and 30 sets of clothes to give you. However, if you are not able to explain to me, then you will give me 30 linen robes and 30 sets of clothes. And they said to him, well, tell us your riddle so we can hear it. And of course, he gives this riddle. And as you follow the story along, right, they can't figure it out. And so they, they look at the lady and say, hey, you're about to marry him, but you're one of us. So get the answer from him. So she goes and goes, oh, Samson, right, please tell me the secret. And of course, he spills the beans. He's talking about the lion and the honey, right? And she goes back to her people and says, it's a lion and honey. And so they come and Sam says, we have, we have the riddle figured out. It's lion and a honey. And of course, he gets upset. He goes off. He kills 30 of their friends and brings their garments back to them, right? And even in that, you see another level of compromise, okay? Uh, look at verse 
uh, chapter 15, verse 1. <clears throat> uh, after a while, during the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, taking a young goat. He said, I'm going in uh, I'm going into my wife in her bedroom, but her father would not let him go in. Her father says, I thought you were thoroughly hated her, so I gave her to your best man. Talk about a drama. Is not her younger sister better than she? Please let her be your wife instead. And Samson said to them, this time I cannot be blamed by the Philistines when I do, when I do harm to them. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes. Now I have no idea how you catch 300 foxes. I can understand catching one fox, but what do you do with the other foxes as you are catching them? Isn't this interesting? But he catches 300 foxes, he ties two of them together with their tails, put, put a torch, and he lets them run through the wheat fields, which would have been this whole valley stuff, right? And so there's all this wheat growing up, the foxes are running through the, the wheat, it's catching everything on fire, and as we just learned about the wheat, okay, this is, this is substantial in terms of economy. Uh, verse six, the Philistine said, who did this? And they said, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timonite, because the Timonite took the bride of Samson and gave her to his best man. Uh, as you continue following this down, for the sake of time, I'm skipping a lot of stuff, obviously. Uh, you get into chapter 16, and it says that Samson went down to Gaza. And there he saw a prostitute and spent the night with her. Compromise. Yeah, that's compromise, right? <laughs> like serious compromise. Uh, the people of Gaza were told, Samson has come here. So they surrounded him and laid in wait for him all night at the city gate. And they kept quiet all night, thinking, in the morning we shall kill him. And Samson lay until midnight. Then at midnight he got up, grabbed the doors of the city gate and the two gateposts, and pulled them out along with a bar. He put them on his shoulder and brought them to the top of the mountain near Hebron. Now, when you look at how these gates, uh, scholars are estimating, estimating them to be around 400 pounds. So he's taking these gates at around 400 pounds and he carries them about 40 miles to Hebron. So this was, this was a walk, right? Uh, verse four, after this, Samson loved a woman in the Valley of Sorek. So this, it's this valley, uh, whose name was Delilah. Guess what Delilah's name means? So Samson's name means light or reflection of God. Delilah means night or secrets of the dark. So what you have in the story is a story of light and dark. You have a battle, if you will, of light and dark. But what's interesting is Samson, though he is supposed to be light, or not doing a very good job. In fact, he's entwining himself with the darkness. And of course, you know the whole story. Uh, Delilah uh, is, is spending time with Samson, and Samson is head over heels about Delilah. And the Philistines keep asking Delilah, hey, we'll give you a lot of money if you'll just somehow get the secret of Samson's strength from Samson. So she goes up to Samson and says, Oh, dear Samson, tell me the secret of your strength. And probably he's thinking he's, you know, she's flirting with him and that kind of stuff. And so he's goofing back, going, you know, hey, if, if you braid my hair a certain way, you know, and then I, I can't do it. So he falls asleep. She braids his hair. And uh, she says, hey, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And of course, he yanks him out. You know, he has all his strength. After several times, right, this, this is taking place. I always thought as a kid, isn't Samson an idiot? Because you would think by this time you go, get a clue, buddy. She's trying to figure this out. And finally one day she's like, you know, you really don't love me because if you truly love me, you would tell me the secret of your strength. And so he spills the beans, the fact that he has this Nazarite vow and no razor has ever touched his head. What is that? It's compromise. 
right? He's literally, in a sense, telling the secrets of his soul, of his strength, if you will. So what does she do? She cuts off his hair and the Philistines come in and once again, hey, the Philistines are upon you and he realizes he has no strength. Now, it's a scary passage, but when you look down at verse 20, uh, oh, look at verse 19. It says, Delilah lulled Samson to sleep on her knees and called for a man to shave off the seven locks of his hair. Then she began to humiliate him and his strength left him. She said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. Then he awoke from his sleep and thought, I will go out as before and shake them free of me. And he did not know that the Lord had left him. Isn't it a scary thought that you can live a life that you get so used to compromise that when the Lord leaves, like the presence of the Lord leaves, you don't even recognize he's gone. And I think that is the one of the most scariest passages. The fact that here is Samson, who's really full of the Holy Spirit. He has the strength of the Spirit of God. And what's interesting is you realize that he, it, we're never once told that he looks strong, right? which is encouraging for some of us. You know? In other words, we always picture him as like this big buff guy. He probably looks like Loray, right? Has all these muscles. But the reality is the scriptures actually never say that. It seems like he had supernatural strength. He, this is not natural ability. This is the spirit of God was upon him. And the moment that he was living in compromise after compromise after compromise, right? He gets to this point where his, his Nazarite vow has been broken. The spirit of the Lord removes himself from Samson and Samson didn't even know it. And what a scary reality. The fact that we can live in such a way where, let me say it this way. My prayer is that we don't get to the point in our lives that we get so used to compromise with the world that we recognize that we are so separated from the presence of God. What a scary thought. And of course, you know the whole story about uh, he's taken to the, the temple or the, the, the party with the Philistines and eventually he has justice and revenge. Though, uh, let's see, verse 31 of chapter 16. So after Samson pulled down the pillars and of course killed a whole bunch of Philistines, uh, thousands of Philistines. Verse 31 of chapter 16 says, Then his brothers and all his family came down and carried him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshkol in the grave of his father. And he had judged Israel for 20 years. So Samson, somewhere is buried right over there. Which is kind of a fun thought. But I just want to give a couple points of application. It's interesting, I'd love you to ponder this at some point, but when you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, Samson is listed among the men of faith. Isn't that interesting? So despite the fact that his life was marked by compromise after compromise, he is considered a man of faith. And I'd love for you to sometime, maybe when you go home, ponder why, why do we consider Samson a man of faith when his life was so just full of compromise? So I'll just leave that for you to study out. But here's a couple of just application points that we can at least apply in our own personal life. Uh, number one, you realize that Samson was set apart from birth. And yet he did his own thing. In other words, he lived for himself. He lived out of his own thinking. And if you look at the Nazarite vow, isn't it interesting that he broke every single aspect of the Nazarite vow? Right? His hair was cut. He drank wine. At, you know, he had this whole party thing with the Philistines. And he touched dead animals. Lily, everything that God commanded him not to do, to really set him apart, he participated in. So again, it goes back to the whole idea of pig bones. Samson's life, if I can use the illustration, was full of pig bones. So where are there pig bones in our life? Where are there areas of our life where God has says, hey, I've called you to be set apart. I've called you to be holy. I've called you to be unlike the world around you. 
So what are those places in our life that we are not living like we're supposed to live? So that's an application point. Another application point is, like Samson, do you realize that you are called to have a total commitment to God? That you are to be all in. That this isn't like, well, I'll, I'll sort of dabble in Jesus and sort of have my own thing over here. So I'll live, I'll live how I want to live, but I just want to add Jesus. That's not a Christian life. The Christian life is actually the call like Samson had at his birth, which is a total commitment after God. So I would like to encourage you on the front end of this trip, do you have that? Do you have a total commitment, passion, exuberance for Jesus Christ? Or do you find that your allegiances are pulled? Remember that we're, we're in the Shephelah, which means it's that middle ground between the coastal plain with the enemies and the high mountains, which is God's people. And it's interesting that it's not that the Shephelah is bad. It's actually, it's a great place. But there's this mingling, there's this battlement that happens in the Shephelah. And you realize that as Christians, we live in a Shephelah. Right? We, we work in the world, we live in the world, we, we're, we're participating in this world, and yet we're not to be of the world. So if I can encourage you, what is, what is your Shephelah back home? What is that place where you're engaging the world, but you're called to be different and other than that world? And can I just encourage you, don't allow pig bones, don't allow there to be compromise in your heart, so that when the world looks upon you, they know without a doubt there's still a God in this universe. You recognize that as Christians, we should be easily identifiable to the world. That when the world looks upon us, they just go, yeah, you're, you're not like us. That you're living here in this place, but you are completely separate and other than how we're living. You don't think the same way. You don't act the same way. You don't talk the same way. What is going on? And as my good friend Ian Thomas used to say, I've never met him. He's dead. But as my good friend, I consider him a best friend. As, a, as my good friend Ian Thomas has said, that the only explanation for your life should be Jesus. That when the world looks upon you, they should be dumbstruck. There should be no explanation for how you are living your life outside of Jesus. So recognize that you live in this world. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually great. Praise the Lord. And yet, while we are in this world, we are not to have compromise. You're not to be of this world. So can I just encourage you as as we move into this whole adventure that we have in this holy land, would you just let God begin to just refine you afresh? And let him begin to poke at different areas. And if, and if there are areas of compromise, could you freshly repent of them and throw yourself upon Jesus? This truly could be one of the best opportunities you have to come before the Lord and just say, you know what, I'm making a fresh commitment unto Jesus in this place to say, Jesus, I'm all in. And I'm, I'm not saying you even have to give up your coffee. You can still have strong drink, okay? But will you freshly go after Jesus with everything you have? And so... As you look at the story of Samson afresh, can I just encourage you? He's not, he's not the typical hero in that sense. He's, he's a man full of compromise. But may his life remind you of what your life is not to be, a life of compromise. Well, thank you for joining me on today's Daily Thunder. I hope it's just been a blessing to partake of this land, kind of in a small way, as we're getting to travel and see it live. If, you, if you're interested in joining me at some point in the future on one of these trips, you can get all the information at deeperchristian.com forward slash Israel, which will give you the latest trip details. But I pray that you'll have a great day in Jesus Christ. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday morning. 
questions, join us at live.ellersley.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon, live and in person. Thanks for listening.